0: Right, okay, this is episode 17 of Music and More. Um, Going on with the theme of guests, uh, this week I'm really buzzing about this one, and anyone who's uh, watched my youtube videos will have heard me talk about this guest um so tonight we've got david boyd who was the boss of hut records um among many other things that he's done obviously but uh, in terms of when we met david he was uh, the boss of hut records and signed us at a very young age having a lot of faith in us and generally being a really um a great figure in our history do you know what i mean in terms of how we look back on our time in the music industry certainly for me anyway and the people we came across across the whole time um you know people dealing with different people at different labels at different times but um obviously David and Hutt uh, you know everyone at Hutt sort of Paul as well um we really great people uh, to have as part of our career so I'd just like to start off by saying hello to yourself David and thank you for giving up some time to come in and talk to us.
1: Absolute pleasure Adam it's been uh I've been looking forward to this since you sent me that email we've started to catch up again and I've been watching your clips on YouTube religiously and now you've been keeping me entertained.
0: Well, that's I mean, thats that warms my heart to hear that. Honestly, it really does. Um, to think that you'd have actually watched those videos, that's great stuff. But I suppose before we really get started as well, um, Pete, you know, like I said, I've introduced you to David, but um, this is, you know, it's going to be really interesting this episode and I'm sure you've got lots of questions you want to ask as well. Yeah. Um, because I... Um, that's the great thing about these podcasts, David, and having Pete on is he's, he's such a super fan of us and, you know, he's got all sorts of interests, you know what I mean? And sort of angles. He'll want to talk about things. So it's always great having Pete involved, but yeah, so I'll best just start by saying hello to Pete as well. Hello, Pete.
2: Wow. About hello, five Pete. minutes into the episode and you finally say hi to <laughs> <you>. Hi, Adam. <laughs> how are like you? <laughs> he does this when we have really good guests on he just forgets i'm here it's fine it's fine
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's usually guests where i've got you know got some sort of you know matey connection with or something i just suddenly forget pete's here it's all but good sorry life, pete he's, he's, Pete, don't take it personally nope. he's fine He's fine So yeah, I thought it would be really interesting for people to hear things from your angle, from being, you know, the boss of a record label and such a successful one as well. And such a cool record label. And something that I spoke about before was just the fact that Hutt, just had so many cool bands. Um, and I'd like to talk a little bit about sort of how you got to that stage, really, and your love of music in general. So, you know, how how did you get into the music industry? I, I'd, I'd have as the first question, really.
1: Wow, well, here we go. Well, I hope my memory is uh, as <laughs> good as it was. Gosh, how did I get into the music business? Um, I was one of those people that uh, always made my job, like my you know, my hobby, my job. And um, so I had my big interests whereas you know, the combustion engine, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, music, <laughs> music and photography. I uh, don't know what order, but they're all sort of up there. Uh, so we, we touched earlier before we went on air about where I am from and where I'm living currently, uh, Northern Ireland, and uh, all the you know politics and bullshit that goes with that. So when I was 16, my parents thought, fuck this, let's get out of here, and they emigrated to New Zealand. So I didn't go back to school when I got to New Zealand. I got off the plane and saw a motorcycle shop on the way up to the hotel we were staying in, walked back down, asked them, do they have any jobs? And I got a job as a motorcycle mechanic. So that was the first box ticked. So I did my time as a motorcycle mechanic apprentice. And then the photography thing kicked in when the New Zealand music scene started to get quite healthy and lots of young indie bands coming up and i grabbed my camera and sort of went started going around the country taking photographs of them for local music mags sleeves, oh. publicity shots stuff like that and i got to meet them hang out with them and then fast forward oh i worked in a record shop uh, there as well um I, I dropped the bike mechanic thing and got a job working in a record shop so one box ticked and moved on to the next and incorporated it with the photography. At the same time, I was working as a freelance photographer for a local sort of magazine um, reportage, everything from going out on an oyster boat for a morning to, you know, photographing an old people's home, that sort of stuff. Went along with the journalists, took the pictures. But anyway, the, the music thing was what excited me. So fast forward, I moved from New Zealand to London, got a job working in Virgin Record Shop on... Marble Arch below the Odeon Cinema, one of the first ones, it still had the Roger Dean, the guy that did all the Yes covers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It still had his original, uh, like, sticker of the two virgins stuck to the the glass of the door. Wow. That that was an interesting place to work. There's quite a few characters that that came out of that one record shop. The guy that started Two Pure that signed PJ Harvey. There's a couple of sort of modern classical guys came out of it. And then... uh, I was there for four years, I suppose, uh, working my way up to assistant manager of of the second sort of mega store down the other end of Oxford Street. But what happened was that all these New Zealand bands started getting noticed worldwide and they started signing worldwide deals. So they wound up in London uh, and more often not staying at my flat, in Clapham Junction. So a lot of them were affiliated to a label back in New Zealand called Flying Nun. And they were looking for someone to look after the label which was distributed by rough trade uh so a lot of these bands were saying oh you should get him you should get him you should get him so this guy called roger shepherd who run flying none suggested to another guy at rough trade uh, the, the label and distribution company king's cross you need to get this guy in because he knows what's going on with that whole world of music that nobody really knew about ah. so, so i went down to rough trade and Obviously, Jeff was there, Jeanette, the Smiths were signed, Stone Roses were just about to sign but didn't change their mind at the last minute, so -hmm. much so that there was artwork for the Stone Roses prepped in the rough trade art office but never got used. So we'd see it you know, walking past. So I got this job um, as a label manager doing the exports. So we looked after probably, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of indie record labels. This is in the 80s. And dance music was just kicking off with all the associated drugs and all that sort of stuff. And uh, my job was, one of my jobs, was to um, get the white labels from these dance labels. And I'd get the white labels at test pressings, 12-inch, and then I'd uh, I'd write all the reviews about it, fax it all around the distributors all around the world who would then buy the records off me, and then we'd export them to, you know, places in New York and Madrid and... Japan and New Zealand, Australia, Italy, all the place. Uh, But one of the jobs was with the dance music kicking off, I was label manager for quite a few of the dance labels. So the KLF, for instance, and I would get um, the white label and I'd play like 3AM Eternal or or What Time Is Love or all those classic trance kind of records through the stereo and I'd hold the phone, which was one of those ones on the cord. I'd hold it up to the little (laughs) NS10 Yamaha And I'd play it down the phone, and then these guys would tell me we'll have 100, 200, 300, 400 of these white labels. So then you'd run back down to the warehouse, box them all up, put them on a plane and ship them all over the world. So they'd have them by Monday morning, and then they'd go out to the clubs after that. (laughs) So that wasn't the only label I looked after. I looked after lots of labels. So I sort of gained a lot of experience Mm -hmm. doing that, Mm -hmm. and then did that for three or four years. And then one day, a label I looked after, the guy came to see me and said, um, we'd put a couple of 12-inch singles out by this band from San Francisco called The Origin. And he said to me, look, can I take you out for coffee? So we went out for coffee. Remember that Rough Trade was fiercely independent at this stage, Mm -hmm. fiercely independent. uh, And there was an independent record chart, which seems ridiculous now because of the streaming and all the rest of it. But that was like the holy grail, you know, as an indie band, to get in the indie chart Mm. was your leg up. So this guy came to see me one day, took me out for coffee and said, look, um, you've been put out these couple of records by this band from California. I've got to come clean with you. You actually did the label deal for this company that's actually owned by Virgin. Mm. And I was, you're kidding. I said, Jesus, if they knew they'd probably fire me. So, um, we were only two releases in. So, uh, I went out for coffee. The guy told me the whole thing. He turned out to be a guy called Simon Stanford, who ran this company called Trinity Street. Back in the day, he was the guy that did all the 60, 40 posters, all these massive posters all around the country that you don't really see anymore, uh, and inserts into records. So, capture. So, you'd fill out the little piece of paper, there send yeah. it back to this central place. And they would keep all the info and then they'd fire you out. You know, it's like a mailing list, primitive yeah, mailing list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he came clean with me and said, look, it's owned by Virgin. Uh, they don't have anything to do with it. They just paid the bills for me. He was some guy who lived in Nottingham, had nothing to do with Virgin really, just a, the poster guy. It was a front and he was game enough to have taken this front on. Uh-huh. And He said, do you want to go and see the people at Virgin? They're looking for somebody to do this label seriously. So I went in, had a chat with him, and got the job. And uh, it wasn't an NR role back in that day. It was like a marketing role. But so I, I sort of arrived, Harley Davidson, hair down to my arse. <laughs> and they were all like, you know, it was Phil Collins and Genesis. And, and you know, it was quite a tame sort of label. Yeah. So uh, they employed me because I wasn't like them. And uh, they needed that into the indie music business to s- attract and sign young bands. So they could then get them on a development thing. Mm-hmm. So I was only in there a few months and I realised it wasn't really going to work. It was either my way or I'd have to leave. Mm-hmm. So I went figured out who the boss of Virgin was at the time and just literally rang him up and said, I need to come and speak to you. Wound up in his office, not really knowing who he was. And I said, look, if this label's going to work, I need to be the one who, it's got to be my taste. I've got to sign the acts. I've got to market them. I've got to do the whole thing. And he went... Yeah. Okay. So that was <laughs> that was the start of it. Mm-hmm. Get it done. He had the faith and um, he took a leap and uh, off we shook hands and off we went. And I wasn't even in the Virgin building. I was down like Portobello Road in this little tiny little back end office with no windows, <laughs> off the Portobello Road, with no contact with Virgin whatsoever. And there I was, just a one man band, and that lasted for quite a while. And during that time, I signed the Smashing Pumpkins um, and the Verve. And then I moved up office to the Virgin office and then went on from there, really. Um, Started the label properly, took on a couple more staff. Uh, We only ever maxed out at six staff. It wasn't like a big operation. Mm -hmm. And we tended to use religiously really independent Music, radio people, TV pluggers, press people, because they got it culturally. You know, uh, can you imagine me taking the first Verve single to a radio plugger who was one? He's going into radio one, right? He had a Phil Collins single in one hand and the Verve yeah. debut single yeah. on the other. Just didn't make sense. So um, we kept hot, although we were based in there, we kept it quite separate. Uh, and that just built from there you know went from pumpkins to the verve and our otters and that just sort of built into that and then the whole you know with the gomez and placebo and brace and david gray we had early doors um, and yourselves. And then, you know, there was uh, lots of bands like John Spencer Blues Explosion and Royal Trucks and, uh, you know, lots of weird and wonderful stuff and mm-hmm. wheels from <laughs> Stockholm. So it was very, very exciting times. It was fast moving, just pedal to the metal, just kept putting records out, records out, records out. Yeah. And uh, yeah. not every band signed was, you know, did it. But Mm -hmm. that's that's the way it goes. But such an exciting time in music history. Um, You know, we still had NME and the Sounds and and Melody Maker and lots of other magazines. Vox, you know, the Q magazine had just started out. TV was going. There was lots of the tube was just finishing. uh, You know, the White Room uh, Top the Pops was still going. We managed to infiltrate Top the Pops with this crazy band called uh, you know Smash. Who had this uh, song called "Lady Love Your Cunt"? And we got them on the fucking Top of the Pops, man. The guy was doing <laughs> scissor jumps in Top of the Pops. It was incredible. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a quite a mad time, really. Um, and then what happens was I, I got successful at Hot, like we we quite f-, you know a few big albums. And they in that corporate world, they said, "Well, if you're good at that, they had of AR left at Virgin to go work for an, uh, Virgin America, and it was like." You know, they do this. They go, "Well, you're good at that. You'd be good at this." So yeah. Yeah. they gave me the job head of A and R at Virgin. So that was, you know, everything from the Spice Girls, camera Brothers, right the way through to the Rolling Stones. Although these people had their own A and R people and contacts with the company that bypassed me, really, yeah. um, which, yeah. which was was fine by me. But you also had but David Bowie, right? Yes, yeah, we, we had David Bowie too. Yeah, and um yeah,
2: that's amazing. He, that's-
1: John Lee Hooker and, you know, God, just the, uh, Isaac Hayes. You know, the roster yeah, was off the
2: chart. Janet
1: Jackson, you know. It was, it was insane. Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah, so very, very exciting times.
2: So how um, do you do, like, you said that you signed the verb. How, how, how does that work? Like, how do you even hear who they are and say, okay, yeah, let's do this. Like, how well, does that actually happen?
1: That's That goes back to when I was working at Rough Trade uh, because I looked after so many independent labels. Uh, some of these labels were sort of region-dependent, so in Manchester you'd have a group of labels under one umbrella and then over in the east of England you'd have another group and so there was one called Bax Records in Norwich, Uh, Johnny at Bax, so he'd look after quite a few local bands, labels, press the records for them and then send them off to Rough Trade for distribution, so I was the label manager at Rough Trade for Bax Records and uh, Johnny sent me through this demo tape. Uh, of this band called the verve and he said this is our next signing I went, oh, okay great so my head wasn't really thinking about that at this time I was doing my rough my my rough trade job
3: yeah
1: uh, and then um nothing happened I left rough trade went to hut and this band resurfaced they'd sent the tape to the scout at virgin and I still had the tape at home it resurfaced they didn't come out on backs and I Scout and I went to see them in, I think it was in London first at the Fulham Greyhound. And we went there and there'd be about five people. And like Richard was climbing the monitors in front of five people, you know, I was like, (laughs) oh, okay. Uh, I had a good chat with them afterwards and we built a relationship and uh, things went from there.
0: Is that something that, because that's exactly what happened with us. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know if I'm really jumping the conversation here really, but you know, we we met quite a lot of um, different label people, do you know what I mean, um, before we were getting signed. And, you know, while all of them were sound guys, you know what I mean, and we had great conversations with them all, like, I don't think we ever connected with any of them. And something that struck us, certainly about yourself, was um that uh, natural enthusiasm that just comes out for the artist. And I suppose my question is, is you know, is that, purely how every signing came or was it a kind of a you know a bloodhound thing where you were just like I've got to sign this band and you sort of make it almost like a personal mission do you know what I mean or that sort of thing
1: well you do make it a personal mission other people have uh, other people had different ways of doing it um, and what happened was I the whole that whole music industry world to me at that level was alien you know I was just this young fella from Northern Ireland you know, and wasn't really part of me and what happened was i didn't really fraternize or not on purpose like i didn't get to know a lot of the other people i didn't know my contemporaries at island or mercury or polygram or warners or emi even or you know i just didn't know them yeah right uh, and they didn't know me so i could go and watch a band quite comfortably without them knowing who the hell I was. yeah
0: yeah
1: (laughs) total incognito and meanwhile they are at the bar hanging out with each other. Said, "Oh, do you like them? Oh, yeah, I like them. Do you like them? I, oh, yeah, I like them." <laughs> you know, it's like this. There was a sheep mentality to it that really repulsed me. Um And sometimes, you know, they would have this like. It's almost like top trumps. You know, they'd 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 have to go prove to their. Head of AR or their boss that did they tick all the boxes, you know, how many people were there? Did you know this, that, this, that. It's quite a business like in the way that they did yeah. it. Yeah. See with me, took 30 seconds. Th- literally 30 seconds. The music, 30 seconds in, before I'd even met you, before I knew who you were, before they'd give me a description, hit play, long road, intro, guitar, that fucked up funky rhythm section coming in (laughs) by that stage Robert could have been just but then he came in that was like a young you know you know know, just Mm. just knocked me for six so when his voice came in on top of that it was like I just turned around and went who are they take me there now please I've got to you know just just insane
2: yeah I actually uh I found a clip online of that first experience that you have with them
3: funny enough the music i signed four hours three hours before i'd seen them play live um they signed the contract and then we all walked off to do the gig and that was the first time i'd seen them i just knew from the music that they were going to be able to pull it off and they were equally as good live as on record in fact you know better
2: (laughs) that's awesome man Wow, that's wow! Well, how did you get that? <laughs> oh, there's, um, there's, there's an even better clip here. That you, this was uh, you went into a little bit more detail about first meeting them. So take a quick listen.
3: Signed them because they really excited me. They're, they're 17 years of age. Um, the music, yeah. If you want to pick reference points, you can hear early Verve there. You can hear Stone Roses. You can hear Led Zeppelin can hear even a little bit of U2 in the early days. And because of their age, they've, they've lived through the whole dance culture, so there's a subtle tip of the hat to the dance culture as well, which makes it contemporary, I guess. But, uh, you know, they're 17 and they wouldn't have digested, they don't have enough years in their life or hours in the day to have digested the amount of music that you have to to come up with those reference points. So I think it's actually in the DNA now. But, uh, you know, after 30 seconds on the first track, I just got that totally, it was right up my street. Rhythmic, anthemic, uh, had a total vibe, psychedelic aspect, real head aspect, very honest. Yeah, you know, you're talking about a band that's probably only written about six or seven songs at the moment, being so young, they're just finishing off their exams, so they need to spend time together to to get the album written. But uh, very exciting, you know, I'll play a track before you go.
2: That's my favorite part. I'll Play you a track before you go, like this is early days, right? Like, you guys, nobody really heard of them yet. <laughs> that awesome. you know,
1: what that that summed it up better there in that clip than I could now because honestly, I'm you were getting them fresh and you were getting me fresh as well, so yeah, that that just sums it up. It's exactly what I felt, and uh, I listened to the album and its entirety again today, and I just got the same feeling all over again, <laughs>
0: mm. yeah, man, yeah. No, definitely, and um like I say, it just made such a difference to us. Because, because like you say, it was, that world was alien to you. The people in it were alien to you, and they felt that way to us as well. And that's why, as soon as we met you, we were just like, "Well, why did we bother meeting anyone else?" Do you know what I mean? Like, wh- why didn't we meet Dave first off? Because you know, you dressed like us as well, man. And you know what I mean. You had the same sort of fucking hair and everything and we were just like this guy's cool do you know what I mean it's not like it's not some suit who's thinking you know are these guys going to make me loads and loads of money do you know what I mean and I don't know I think that's evident as well I mean I don't know how much is, of it is the times themselves but you know your band's developed man like the Verve do you know what I mean the Verve developed. we developed um you know lots of lots of bands under that umbrella sort of developed and weren't necessarily just instant success things, but that was what was great for us, because like you can hear on that, on that clip, we were so young, man. Do you know what I mean? We were, we would I think we were literally just eight. Well, I was certainly literally just eighteen. I think we had to be to legally sign the deal. Um, but obviously, we, you know, we were talking prior to that. Well, you were talking to the management and things. But I don't, it just, it, obviously, as you can imagine, it was just such a, a magical time in in our lives. Um, yeah, you know, you just stood out head and shoulders. And down, you know, even things like, do you remember our first recording session at Townhouse when you came down and you were giddy as us lot propagated it and we rolled you a massive joint and you ended up smoking <laughs> it and I remember the next day you came and you were like just just so you know I had absolutely no memory of driving home last night <laughs> 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 and it's, it's just those little things man that just made you seem just so cool and human to us you know rather than any sort of stuffy executive that we were kind of thinking that people like that were going to be I don't know man
1: yeah, well, that's that's good to hear. I, I remember those moments clearly. I remember when you were signed, like I can still close my eyes and see that foyer of that hotel, that kind of weird colored sort of entry point for that hotel. And your parents were there or people's parents were there. And yeah, um, yeah I can remember it really clearly because they had to be there because you weren't old enough to sign the deal. It was the day last
0: day of school.
2: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's
1: crazy. Yeah. And I suppose the whole making money thing was... Um, I didn't have that thing because it wasn't my money. <laughs> and I just wanted to invest in art yeah. and push things forward and make a bit of history and had no criteria for it other than great song and mm. play well and pushing the envelope and just sound different and enthusiasm and uh you know it's just, just yeah.
2: exciting Adams often said that, uh, that one of the things he really liked about you guys was one that they everyone else seemed so corporate and you definitely seemed like one of them but he also said that you guys were uh, really good about not trying to like micromanage or be fully in the process but I am curious how what level of um, involvement did you have in those early days of uh you know getting a record going from signing to actually producing a first record
1: what do you mean generally or
2: specifically Perfect. Right. Yeah, like any, any good memories around that process of like when they started doing the recording? Well, their-
0: I mean, I've, I've definitely got good memories because <laughs> I mean, Pete, to answer your question, I mean, so in terms of creatively, that's one of the great things about uh, Dave and how he ran things is it would never in people's shit. you know what I mean? Saying, well, I don't like this bit of that song. You know, some people, some 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 r would be in the fucking back of the studio the old time, you know, commenting the producers here, what about this, what about that? You know, Dave Dave used to come down to the studio and have a fucking joint with us and chill out, man and just go, yeah, man, it sounds fucking awesome. Do you know what I mean? But And then you came down to, ja- you came down to Jacobs, didn't you? And we just ended up playing football for the majority of the afternoon and slide tackling each other and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jacobs was great. I loved that place. Um, I did. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. I think you reminded me on, on one of your YouTube clips about, um, I'd forgotten this about coming
0: down in, a, in one of my cars and going for a spin around those country yeah. roads. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, mate. Honestly, I mean... I'd been in a few fast cars at that point, but that were a serious Porsche 911 with some <laughs> ungodly under the hood. And it were, wind, it were like tight, windy roads. Not really enough for two cars. And you were just booting this thing around. I would just pin... Like, my inside was sort of pinned to the back of my body, honestly. Oh, God. <laughs>
1: how many joints had we had before we got in it <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> but you know even, Classic in, rock and roll exa- moments well, yeah, exactly sure.
0: yeah, man, exactly and even down to when we first had uh, when you came up that first time to meet us and um, you know it was a case of so we were going for dinner and that and we were just like well McDonald's <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you were just like oh fucking so me I'm not bothered yeah <laughs> Other, other guys we've been out to all these posh meals and all that sort of sushi stuff. yeah well whatever but we were just like yeah man let's go to Macca's, and you know you were just sound oh, about yeah. that it just you, you just felt like one of the gang and i'm presuming and it, i've you know i've been reading a little bit as well and and listening to other people's clips like listening to brian molko um talk as well and even you know uh, things from the lads from the verve and everyone just seems to have the most utmost respect for you do you know what i mean um that i can imagine wouldn't really be the case that majority of other labels really i don't know because you know like i suppose you can answer really although i suppose you you separated yourself from it but you know it seems like a very cutthroat kind of position do you know what i mean like um sort of you went for as long as you have done because you've done it your own way, but, you know, have you seen a lot of other, well, I guess you've had, like you say, you've never really paid attention to it, have you? And that's that's kind of the beauty of your position, I would have said, mainly, but, you know, it always it, struck me as very cutthroat.
1: Yeah, it, it came back to bite me in the arse, actually, um, when uh, when they, they they closed the label, because that, that hurt, you know, that really did hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so where that bit me was that, most other people are just, as they do in that business, they tend to, I call it failing upwards. You know, there's a small pool of record executives and, you know, they'll do three years at Warner Brothers and then they'll they'll take, you know, they'll take, get headhunted and they'll go and do another three years at EMI and then they'd have got headhunted and work, went to Universal. You know, they kept sort of staying, not really doing anything, but just moving around the chessboard. And um, when it came time for me to go, shit, uh, another job. Um, had no I had no doors to knock on. Yeah. And that was a, a good in one way, um and bad in another. But I put so much into the hut thing that when they closed it down, uh, I didn't I didn't have the stomach for it. I just I just fucked off. I went to Cornwall with two preschool kids and went and lived on the beach for a mm. year. Because mm. I couldn't actually give it to anybody else because and it was just you know that whole thing was really frustrating time and for me because um, I couldn't get involved in your second record. It was taken away from me, mm. and it was very, very, very frustrating to sit there and watch that happen. And I can remember about so I wasn't invo- I wasn't involved in the recording of your second album at all, mm. other than voicing my opinion about. It was mentioned at one meeting about doing the american thing you've had your go david so we're going to give the american company their say on who makes the next record and i was like right okay uh so like no input then uh no all right uh, little did they know they were, i was going to get that input taken away anyway by emi a oh. couple of weeks later but um <clears throat> there's a clear moment in my head so i'm in cornwall driving to the beach i'm out of the business and on the radio comes this song that uh, they didn't announce. They just played it, or else I just turned the radio on, not hearing the band, right? And I knew your album was finished and coming out because I'd read about it on, you know, in the music press and stuff. Uh, it was three weeks before your album was due to drop, and I thought, oh, three weeks before the music out. This this uh, this track sounds. So this, this track came on, and until the geezer started singing, I thought it was you, and it was that. Um, Clubfoot by Kasabian. Oh, man, yeah. Mm. yeah.
0: yeah and I, yeah.
1: because the intro, the sound, and then I found out that Jim had made the record. Mm. And I thought to myself, fuck me. He took all those things that he put on your record and you had this education process with him and mm. you with him, it was equal. You know, he learned off you as much as Oh yeah, I probably bet. more you know because you came with the sound already formed so jim jim took that and attributed it to the debut kasabian record Mm -hmm. and i was fooled for about 35 seconds thinking that was you until the guy started singing and i thought now hold on a minute but Mm -hmm. um that that was it but it was very frustrating not to have been involved in that second record and although the second record you know it's a good record Mm -hmm. it was definitely a different place than i would have gone with it yeah. you know at the time i was thinking not bruce springsteen pearl jam bob dylan's producer i was thinking chemical brothers david holmes yeah. that's what i was yeah go with it but it was deemed that the american label because you when you signed you 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 signed for america separately yeah. Um, so yeah, but um, and and the record, your record, didn't it didn't suffer from it. It just sounds different from what um, where I would have suggested, I suppose.
0: Uh, definitely, man. And to be honest, it's something that I've not really got to yet um, in terms of my YouTube videos or even the podcast in terms of addressing addressing this. And it, it's a, it's an interesting time to do so. But that was a well, that was a horrible time for us. Do you know what I mean? I heard, uh, I, heard, you know? I heard that. Yeah yeah you know the sort of the um what what happened with Hutt and and like you say everything all the power effectively being given to the American label um there's various reasons for this even down to even down to little things like we'd been we'd been there for three or four months touring and we'd been back for a week and the label said well we wanted to make this record in America so back you come and we were just like what for a start and it kind of, it, it all happened so fast. Did that for us, and yeah. you know, like we we just had to we just had to roll with it. But it was it, we were kids, yeah. And it never, but it never sat right with any. Well, I, mean, I can't speak for everyone, but it, I, it it never sat right with us that the fact that we had this relationship with you. And it kind of certainly for me, it kind of galvanized our position in terms of what we were doing creatively. And it was more the American side of things that were a lot more. I don't know well had a lot more opinions do you know what i mean or felt necessary to express those opinions and you know want to put that because ultimately as well i'm not being funny but it failed you know the whole idea behind the americans running with that second album was they were going to turn into something big in america do you know what i mean and and to my mind anyway they, they, they abandoned it and um you know that was that was really hard to swallow because it was a case of I remember kind of to me and I'm not saying this was put to me by Tim or Tony really but the overwhelming vibe was look you know these guys are pretty much saying they're going to break you in America that's kind of a big deal if they can do that so we kind of need to you know what I mean it was but it was awful for that because I ne- we never felt like we had a home after that you know what i mean we never felt like we had a proper home um but you know i do suppose the the music industry changed dramatically didn't it i would say towards the uh, you know sort of after that time and how how labels were looking at artists and things um but yeah that as much you know as much as it as much as you felt it we felt it too in terms of not having your involvement um which was it meant a great deal to us, your involvement and like i say it just it gave everything credibility do you know what i mean and then suddenly it was, it was, don't get me wrong the, the the guys at the american label they were nice guys but fuck me man they were label guys do you know what i mean they were through and through um liming label guys do you know what i mean um and I, I don't mean that as a as an insult but you're never going to connect with them like you are you know, with someone who's clearly... You know, half of these guys are fucking probably drafted in from God knows what businesses. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Fucking selling bubble wrap. Do you know what I mean? And then suddenly they're given... Do you know what I mean? And it's like, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it, a, it, was, it was a tough time for us, man. Well,
2: there's but, definitely a distinct sound between the two, the first and the second album. I've told you this mm-hmm. many times. I think the second album is great. The first album is epic you know and i I love them both you know for they're they're both my children if you will uh but they they have different sounds you know and uh but boy the the energy and the the just the sheer passion that comes out of that first album it's it's hard it's hard to 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 bottle that up and put it on another album i would think
1: well I, i might have been guilty of make want to make the first album part two i'll tell you why um i think that they were developing so much themselves that, and they were so rooted in the culture that they were in. I just didn't think it had been exhausted enough, yeah. And it could have been pushed in that cultural direction a bit more to have even made them stand out even more so than where they where they were standing mm. out already. Sorry, Pete, you're having to. Adam and I haven't even we've have not ne- we've not touched on this ever. This is the first time this is this has actually come out. We never even had a chance to speak. That's why I love this podcast. On that whole episode. And, you know, I I felt so guilty that I couldn't be there. But it was, you know, they just came in and just pulled a rug from under my feet. I was driving to see Placebo, who had like two or three sold out nights at uh, Brixton Academy, had the gold or silver or platinum discs in the back of the car that you know, um, you know, I think there are three or four or five albums in, like 10 million albums under their belt, driving to see them uh, for this gig in Brixton, got a phone call to say, can I divert to the EMI building, uh, where I was pulled in and told that um, there was going to be an announcement the next day, they were going to make a couple of cost-cutting exercises, and one was closing a pressing plant, oh, and by the way, we're going to close your label down. So... Don't go to the placebo gig, please. Just go home and don't even mention it until it, there's a press statement out tomorrow. Wow. And that was it. I had to go in the next day, tell the staff, pack the car up, go home, and fucked off down to Cornwall for a year. <sighs> so I didn't catch up with anybody. I didn't talk to any of the artists. I just had to go. Like, I'm sure some of them thought I'd fucked off and, and, and deserted them, but it just wasn't the case. I was I was hurting and I ran away, to be honest.
0: Mm. I mean, I don't... Uh, we... I can honestly say that we um, we never felt that you ran away. Do you know what I mean? We felt that we were... Well, it, I'm, not, I'm not being funny, but it happened with quite a few relationships. Do you know what I mean? You being one of them and Jim Abbess as well. Do you know what I mean? In that, you know, I certainly wanted Jim. I mean, we had a couple of things with Jim where we were like, um, you know, produce the next album and it were all sort of ready, readily going to happen. And then I don't know, but it, yes, please, we signed to... But the yes, please, our Polydor picked us up, even though we'd arranged to make, was it the third album? Yeah, it was the third album. We're going to make it with Jim. And then we'd arranged it and that. And then when Polydor picked us up, they were like, oh, no, no, we don't don't want him to make it. You know what I mean? And it's just like fucking shit. Shit just fucking happens, doesn't it? Like that, do you know what I mean? People, people make decisions for whatever reasons they make them, and there's shit rolls downhill. There's collateral damage along the way, and oh yeah. Um, I mean, I'd I'd be really interested to know how everyone else felt. Do you know what I mean? Like people like um, embrace, obviously, I'm really pally with Rick McNamara. Do you know what I mean? And um, well, everyone sort of who was on that label, it must have been such a shock. And like you say, you had such a personal relationship with everyone, and not sort of being able to to sort of. Um, well, have any closure on it? Really, it's it's shit that sort of stuff in it because it's just like what that's over, uh, all right, and we've just got to deal with it. Um, okay, great. Yeah, mm. that's
1: right. I just honestly couldn't believe it, and uh, to have such great relationships with all my artists, you know, it's taken years to catch up with people and um, and try and let them know how all that came about. And you know, I I've been here for seven years, so. I'm not really, uh, I'm not, I don't talk about this a lot. You know, I don't have the opportunity or the outlet to to talk about stuff like this, to reminisce and go back over, over old times. And uh, so I really appreciate the chance to do this
0: guys thanks very much oh man honestly yeah, for fucking sure. hell it, you know this sort of stuff is gold to, to us do you know what I mean and to our listeners as well you know some of the you know Diver Smashing Pumpkins bands like that do you know us obviously do you know what I mean just bands that the people who listen to this podcast absolutely adore you know yeah um, it's history yeah it's history you know you, you played such a, a a huge role in these things which you know Smashing Pumpkins literally I, that's what I grew up with do you know what I mean and then progressed on to like Diver stuff do you know what I mean and then suddenly when we're signing this record deal it's with the man who is you know fucking responsible for that shit do you know what I mean or certainly you know just mind-blowing stuff for us so this sort of stuff is just um it's fascinating to hear about and I think other people listening will just find it fascinating you know in terms of your journey and the things that um you know go hand in hand with those business things like suddenly having your fucking label pulled from under your feet you know what I mean or like as an artist suddenly having your deal pulled from under your feet you know man that was a difficult thing was having someone like you who sort of clearly tangibly believed in us and that we were relaxed with to suddenly trying to get along with someone who was like all right with these guys do you know what I mean it's a different fucking kettle of fish do you know what I mean It, it you know we used to get like hot at Christmas you guys used to send out the best fucking Christmas boxes in the world. I've still <laughs> got, like, honestly, the hook Christmas boxes, I've still got the entire contents of however many we got, which I'm sure we got at least two, um, just filled with all kinds of fucking cool shit, man. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, I don't know. We, we never experienced that with any other... Um, label and you know, we had a really bad experience with um whoever the hell we were on in the end. Who were who were who were we on? Yes please and what were that part of? Polydor. No, thank you. Polydor, that <laughs> were it. I don't know, just fucking just nothing like the old days that we're talking about now. Do you know what I mean? When yeah. music, you know, when music sort of were allowed to breathe rather than oh, you know, you signed, oh you, know, you only sold thirty thousand. All right, well you're dropped then. Do you know what I mean? It's the, lands, the landscape fucking changed so much and you know it must have changed well it obviously did sort of change while you know while you were on it just like we were i suppose
2: yeah you left some big shoes to fill that's for sure so you went to the beach for a year and then uh, after you packed up the car and headed back uh what was your next step
1: i wasn't coming back and uh, i got a call from a guy who had an independent label um to come up to london and have a chat with him so I did, and, me and my wife drove up and we dropped the kids off at her parents in Glastonbury and we kept on going and we stayed, we thought we'd spoil ourselves and we stayed in a nice hotel in London, we hadn't been there for a while and I went off the interview and had a good chat and wound up working there as head of ANR for a couple of years, um, but it wasn't, you know, obviously not the same. Um, uh, Tried my best on a very limited sort of budget, and the guy wanted to sell the label anyway, or get out of it, or you know, it wasn't just wasn't a happy place. Let's say that wow. people leaving every other day, and so yeah, no, it wasn't very enjoyable. Um, uh, it's funny, I did a CV actually. It was so unenjoyable. I did some, I had to do a CV for some a couple of years ago, and I, I wrote the CV out first time I'd done one, and I was looking back, and it wasn't on there. I'd missed it off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Spot, fuck that. <laughs> I
1: missed the whole record company involvement off my CV. <laughs> so then, uh, what happened after that? Then I left there and I sort of got into management and then joined a company in Covent Garden. Did, it was a management company, music, um, accountancy firm, legal firm, all kind of rolled into one um, and did that for a couple of years. And then I uh, decided to come, I woke up one day and thought, I'm going to go back to Ireland. Um, never thought I would, but oh. I did. So, yeah. So what do I do nowadays? I'm pretty much semi-retired, but I'm involved in a festival here that happens every August. Um, gets 10, 12,000 people. Um, I work on a voluntary basis, and that keeps me busy. And then on the music business side of things, I have a very small label that goes through Play It Again, Sam, but i um, probably going to shut that down shortly. And I manage an electronic artist who I've loved for a long time called Ulrich Schnauss, German guy, lives in London. Um, I actually signed him at that record company I was telling you about that I joined from being in Cornwall. Wow. And uh, I've managed him for 10 years and his label. And I've just been involved in a six-album retrospective CD box set, re-record, remaster. All vinyl, double vinyl, hmm. triple vinyls, um, and that's what I do now is I, I'm i the one man band again. I do everything from the metadata on iTunes through to, you know, the whole oh, wow. thing. Okay. <laughs> sure. so, um, yeah, but as I say, it's only one artist. Sure, yeah. uh, and the festival and um, the rest of the time I'm underneath the hood of a car or fixing an no. old car or fixing well, motor- I got into making cafe racer motorbikes I built seven or eight of them in the last couple of years um yeah that's I can fill my day and uh but this you know I'd like to do a bit more of this this um this is good I like talking about the past it sort of puts everything in perspective and realize the good people you work with um the the fun, exciting times you had and and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, man, there's nothing better. And, you know, I'm sure from you having watched my YouTube videos, you know, you've got a kind of picture of where I've been for the past decade in terms of being out and away from all this, um, you know, off the grid, so to speak. And, you know, finding any kind of memories to do with it incredibly painful for so long um, to then be in a position where, you know, talking to the rest of the lads of the band and everything that's happening now that's kind of what spawned this podcast was just like you say that that love of reminiscing about something that meant you know a great deal to you do you know what i mean like yeah and it's been such a pleasure for me to sort of reconnect with all these memories and as i've said you know talking to people such as yourself who had such a great role at such a great time for us and there's no doubt as well that you know it's kind of a little bit sad to think about it but Kind of what we were began to diminish from that point, really, you know, from the point of what, you know, what happened there. But, you know, and everyone else is faceless to me. Do you know what I mean? Everyone else after is relatively faceless to me or entirely faceless to me, to be honest. You know, I, you know there's only yourself, really, that from the label side of things, you know, really means a great deal to me. Um, I have to say that, definitely. So it's been uh, an absolute pleasure um, to have you on the podcast and talk about these sorts of things because it warms my heart too man do you know what I mean thinking about this shit thinking about you coming up and playing football at Jacob's and just hanging out with us um, you know and the cars you know what I mean nearly nearly giving me a heart attack in the car but to be fair I don't think Stu would forgive me if I didn't quiz you a little bit about what you are driving now do you know what I mean and uh, what you are tear arcing round in these days yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I I see what he's up to and uh, cars and stuff and Volkswagens and all the rest. Of it. I um, what have I got? I've I've got an old nine eleven, which is um, keeps me busy. I work on it myself. I do everything to it. Uh, and what my daily driver is a Land Rover, one of the old Land Rovers.
0: Nice, no, what like <laughs> a Defender, nice. like a Defender style.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nice. I've had a, I've had a I, I one of those when when I worked with you. Actually, that's that's. That's probably what I was driving daily, but um, it's quite uh, a vehicle. But,
0: <laughs> you definitely yeah. had the nine eleven though, because you nearly killed us in it, man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> if you're like fucking ooh, fuck's sake. That I'll tell you what though. As fast as it went forward, it fucking stopped as fast as well. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I,
1: was, I was I was I was racing cars at the time, wasn't I? Like I was doing um <gasps> single seater Formula Lotus, and uh I was racing old sixties racing cars. Around the place. That's what I did at the weekends when I wasn't doing gigs. So um, yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I remember that day in particular. I think I must have burned the clutch out in that Porsche. was was pushing it so hard.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> fucking hell! I just, I just remember how, uh, how serious you were when you came in the next day to, um, well, we're going back when we were at Townhouse and you came in the next day and you were like, "I smoked that joint, mate. No idea how I got home." <laughs> 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 it Still it fucking makes me giggle.
1: I did lo- I did like a smoke I think Tony Perrin said to me once you smoke way too much for something Oh, did <laughs> That
0: is no, typical of that he don't give a fuck does he? he just fucking tells it how it is Oh my god
2: So so Dave you you've uh, you've been watching all the YouTube uh, channels you must be aware of the fact that uh, Temple Newsome has mm-hmm. now been um pushed out till next year hopefully you uh hopefully you can make it up there it would be amazing. Yeah, i definitely yeah.
0: want to go to that. Oh, man, if you could make... Obviously, you're on the fucking guest list. No questions last man. If you could make that, it'd be amazing.
1: Social distancing's not... If it's still around, it's not going to make fuck all difference to me. There's going to be massive hugs.
0: Well, that's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, to be honest, and that's why we've tried to push it, you know, to June next year rather than later this year and that. Just to try and make it... Um, you know, as unrestricted as possible. It makes fucking sense, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? There's no point, no point in scheduling somewhere and then having to go, right, well, that's being cancelled as well. Um, do you know what I mean? But no, it would be absolutely awesome if you can come to that. That'd be fucking mega, man. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fucking really, really good.
1: Yeah. Well, I just talked about that, that, that festival that I'm involved in. I, I managed to swing it with Tony that we could have embraced a couple of years ago I, and they came over and it was such a buzz to see them. It really was, oh, you wow. know, such a buzz because, uh, you know, you you two bands were like some of the nicest people I've worked with in this business.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah you know Rick and the lads uh, like you say absolutely lovely people and there's plenty of people in this industry you know you've got no problem if you never see again but yeah the Embrace lads every single one of them are just really really suck I mean Rick's one of my best Rick's one of my best mates um, now do you know what I mean he was I can understand why yeah man he was on a couple of podcasts ago and uh, funnily enough actually we've got Nick McCabe coming on um, I think next week we've got Nick McCabe coming on and obviously I can't fucking wait for that man because that's just like that's just like talking to my fucking musical idol. Do you know what I mean? Like guitar playing and fucking. Oh my god! You know their first album, second album. Shit, me man. That the influence that I had on my guitar playing, uh, which which you rightly said. You know you could hear the early verb in in what we were doing. um Yeah, you know I can't fucking wait for that. I can't fucking wait.
3: <laughs> well, you know Nick
1: was one of my um it's like one of my favorite guitarists of all time, and yep. and uh, he was always a little thing with with Nick and is. He always had a weird interpretation of of the Hut and the virgin and where my role was and all the rest of it. And it was, you know, I've read recent things when all those reissues were coming out about, you know, virgin this and virgin that. It wasn't actually they didn't want him in the band and all this. And I can't understand where, where he comes from when he says that because it was literally just me. Like Virgin had no say in the matter. And right. uh, you know, just to idolise the
0: bloke, still do.
1: Hmm. Yeah, he made that.
3: Band. It's like there's no two ways about it. Yeah, yes, <laughs> for
0: sure. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, man. De- def definitely, definitely. Um, he was, you know, I love the verve, and it, it comes from listening to him and just going, "What the fuck?" Do you know what I mean? And then do you know what I mean, everything that comes with that, but. Yeah, such a such a genius musician, and you know this is these are the moments where I've got to sort of pinch myself. Really, um, getting these sort of people to, you know, even Tim Burgess. We had Tim Burgess last week, man. Do you know what I mean? That's such a fucking that's such a cool thing. We have got Nick McCabe coming on. Um, I'm I fucking loving it, me. Absolutely loving it. Because I've just felt like a no-one for 10 years, do you know what I mean? Completely forgotten that I hadn't, you know, I haven't talked about that enough, really. But it's just so nice to be able to, um, I don't know, that people sort of remember, you know, because I, I, I just sent Nick McCabe a, a message on Twitter and says, oh, will you, fan- will you come on my podcast? You're a massive influence. And he was just like, yeah, man, I think you're a great player too. I'll come on your podcast. And you're just like, fucking hell. All right. Well,
1: give, him, give him my honest, sincere regards when you see him, because there's... You know, I never have and never will have any other thoughts other than highest respect for the fella.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I'd, well, I can promise yeah, you, sure. uh, we definitely, definitely, definitely will. Definitely will. Um, so, yeah, man, um, Pete, have you got anything else you wanted to say? Anything else you wanted to ask? We don't want to take too much of David's time. We no, never no. talked
1: about the artwork.
2: The artwork.
1: My God.
2: Let's talk about you know, it then, man.
1: You know, just incredible, wasn't it? it Are was. you talking about the
2: artwork for the album? Yeah,
0: yeah the, the debut album, yeah. I mean, that was... that was Amazing. As much, You know, Amazing. T- Tony Perrin did a lot for us, a, an awful lot. And one of the main things he did was being there at that exhibition when they were showing... Because I think he, he had to buy... And he's, he's, told, he's told us recently, he said, you know, I went to that show and I was looking at this art and I was thinking, that is perfect for what we're doing. So I went and spoke to him and I said, you know, I've got this band, we're releasing this record, we'd love to use that. And I think, uh, from what I can remember, they effectively turned around and said, okay, you can use it, but you've got to buy that one now. And I think it was like two grand. And Tony said at that point, like, yeah. it's all oh, fucking well, my well, wife. Well, yeah, why it's going to fucking they kill me.
2: <laughs> so you had that to buy how, the art that on that the spot? series, all those... Yeah. That whole series was amazing. Uh, like all the in individual EPs had different colors. That was just a, it's such a beautiful image and, uh, it's definitely some of the best artwork I've seen on albums. Same
0: it, was, here. Same it, was, it was it was iconic, wasn't it? And you know, that was the shit that was on fucking billboards. I remember seeing that stuff on billboards. Do you know what I mean? When in our town in Leeds, the the circle, um, and that, you know, that's another thing that disappeared after that first album, you know, we never saw billboards of ours again, but, and again, that, that's an interesting point. Um, you know, we moved away from Robin, Nick Carter as well on the second record, and I think we should have. I think we should have stuck with that.
1: We need, I still believe Part Two would have been a good way to go. It's right behind your head there. I see that. That's the one that um, has got the got the the coating on it. Doesn't it? It's m- mounted on wood. That's and, right. Yeah. Rachel Bailey came up with that idea. Girl that worked at, work at Hut at the time.
2: Oh,
0: really? Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. There was some fucking great people, weren't there? There were some great people at hop
1: Yeah, it was I loved that team. Paul was just amazing. Uh, Rachel was fantastic. Joe Marshall, just, you know, there was Luke Bevins. There was just loads, loads of great people. Amy, Amy James. Um, God, there was loads. Loads of good people went through there. Yeah. yeah,
2: that must have been so exciting to be part of that time. I, I, I think back to those days just because I was on the other side just listening. And uh, yeah, I think like, oh, it must have been pretty exciting to be involved in those early days. And it's, it's been really cool on this podcast to, to talk to the various pieces of the puzzle of that whole process of discovering, signing, recording. And then yeah, it's just been really exciting. It's really cool. Yeah, you see the whole A&R
1: thing, you know, if you sign the right acts with the right attitude and the right amount of talent, you don't need to be A&R. They do it themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that's tend to be the kind of acts that I signed. It was never pushy pushy. It was just, you know, subtle at 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 the most. And even then it wasn't really there. You know, it's just let them go, let them breathe, let them let them develop. Had it not been going right, in some cases I did have to, you know, I did have to step in and give my opinion. But
0: yeah, you
1: know, sign a band like the music, even at their age. You know, they were, that's, they knew where they were, you know, what to do, you know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) They had their sound even before Tony and, and Tim walked into my room.
0: Yeah, 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 and that was the beauty of Tim and Tony, really. Um, and in a similar way that you you did, um, they just kind of left us alone. There was no sort of, oh, try this, try that. What about listening to these bands? Listen to those bands. They were just like, just carry on doing whatever you're doing because it's clearly working well. And like you say, with Jim, you know, other than, you know, obviously, um, you know, there was a lot of refinement went on, but the sound and the vibe, it was just about capturing it. And I remember that was the sort of, that was the biggest um problem with that first record was making everyone feel like our sound had been captured properly you know what i mean and captured accurately
1: that was right that's the conversation we all had wasn't it just let's try and get this get it sounding try and get it sounding not better than live but a fair representation of what you could sound like live yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah. i've always found that fascinating because a lot of other bands the the recordings are usually way better than live (laughs) you know and yeah. and the music was sort of the opposite. I mean, they were still well, yeah. the recordings were amazing, but then live was just just as good. Yeah, if not better.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of bands hide behind being in the studio. I mean, yeah,
2: behind I mean, tools. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really want to come up with any examples, but well, I could. I won't. But there, there are plenty where you're like, you know, fucking hell, you hear them live, fucking dreadful, but the record sounds great, man. Do you know, what I mean, when you when you've got them, but we, you know. We were better live and everyone will say it. I'll say it. our records are great. That first album is great, but we were always better live. That power always came across better live when it was sort of just, there was no, there was, you know, the throttle would just wide open. There was no one trying to, to rein anything back or anything like that.
2: Well, Dave, man, this has been really good. Um, We, uh, yeah, we're coming up on the hour and uh, this has been a great chat. Um, if in fact you do find yourself at Temple Newsom next year, I am gonna find my way to you to uh, to thank you for being a big part of this uh, this journey with the music. It's been a it's been a great conversation.
1: Oh, good! I've really really enjoyed it. Well It's just nice to look back and on good times, you know, good yep. times and this horrible time we're going through. And it's like, wow, did you? I just, we we did that, did we? Is that what we did? Yes. You know, we should fucking slap ourselves in the back for having such a good right. time. Yeah, yeah well,
0: that man. was made life worth living mm. oh yeah. indeed indeed and it, and that's why I've missed it so much and you know even just being able to reminisce like this just means so much to me um, it really no does way. it really does man it really does okay so this has been episode 17 of Music and More um, you know I'm sure you'll agree absolutely fascinating episode and i've not talked as much as like i usually have much must mean i've uh, i was listening hard but yeah so uh thank you very much david uh for giving up your time and coming on and it's been so great to catch up with you and you know i hope we stay in touch man and i really really hope you can make it to temple news and that would be fantastic and i know the rest of the lads would love to see you there as well
1: oh, i'd love to see them too i'm intending on
0: being there fantastic mate well thank you very much Thank you, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you very much.